Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Welcome to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Today in the studio is Jarrett Ransom. She is a nonprofit leader in Arizona, and she's defined by many things. A coworker, a friend, a daughter, a volunteer, an advocate for social change, and so many other titles. She has been fired from jobs. She's reorganized out of many positions. She was a recipient of food stamps, and she has risen above it all. Today, despite her challenges, Jarrett is more successful than ever. Jared is the founder and owner of The Raven Group, a nonprofit consulting firm focusing on sustainable practices for nonprofits worldwide since 2009. In 2012, Jared founded a women's empowerment nonprofit called Reawaken that focuses on the adult, professional, and successful women that may find themselves rebuilding, rebranding, and overcoming their own personal obstacles. And then in 2015, just last year, Jared wrote a book called Inspired Actions and created Jared Inspires as a platform to speak, inspire, and motivate individuals to achieve their highest authentic self. We are so excited to have Jared on the show. Jared, thank you for taking time to be on this nonprofit leadership podcast. As I mentioned to her earlier, we're going to have to get you out to Park City, Jarrett, because it's a lot cooler right now than it is in Phoenix. So soon we'll get you on the calendar and out here in Park City. I would love that. Let's definitely work on that part. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll make that happen. Okay, well, this is a podcast dedicated to nonprofits. And so I would like to ask you a question, but starting with your own journey, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. Uh, tell us about your journey and how um, this relates to nonprofits. Absolutely. I say that I have really been in the nonprofit world since birth, but I got my undergrad degree in mass communication from a school in South Carolina, and my internship was with the Chamber of Commerce. And so, as you know, that is a nonprofit, and that was my first introduction into nonprofits. And I fell in love immediately with the culture, and it wasn't until gosh, 2007 or 2008, I can't recall, I walked the breast cancer three-day walk out here in Phoenix, and that was my first time raising money. And I not only raised money for myself, which was $2,100, but for my mom as well. And so that was really my first introduction into fundraising for nonprofits. So while I've been in the nonprofit sector, I really found that I loved asking for money to support such critical missions. And so really it was then that I started my fundraising career, but I've always been involved in nonprofits and involved in my community. And I just love how that feels and the connection of community and individuals. And that's, I went back, I got my master's degree. Gosh, I'm really bad at years. Let's say 2009. <laughs> um, and then I, I really used my business savviness that I learned from my master's program to help nonprofits with the sustainable business practice for fundraising and development and things like that. So that's kind of my journey, Rob. I've, I've been in it, whether I've been a volunteer as a young child 
or I've turned it into my career. And now I'm very philanthropic um, with, you know, what I can afford financially, but also resource-wise. Yeah, Jared, talk about that. You've had quite a powerful turnaround. Um, you've been a recipient of food stamps. You know what it's like to be in need. Um, you've overcome quite a bit, and now you help other women and inspire them to overcome their challenges. So talk a little bit more about your story. Like, How did you pull yourself up? Were there some specific things that happened along the way, uh, turning points that you could point to now as the reason you were able to overcome your challenges? You know, 2009 was a big year. That is a year I won't forget. The economy crashed. I was asked to lay off my staff. I was a chief development officer for a $21 million operating nonprofit. I was asked to lay off my staff, and six months later, I was laid off. I took my severance pay, and I thought, you know what? On my bucket list is to do a service trip, and I had the opportunity to go to Africa. I went to Africa with my basically severance pay. I came back to cabinets that were empty. There was no food. I didn't know what I was going to do. I curled up in the fetal position, and I cried a lot. (laughs) And then it dawned on me that one of my professors, when I was getting my MBA degree, he said, now that you have your MBA, you're never unemployed. You merely become self-employed. And after a lot of tears and a lot of, you know, uh, woe is me, it really dawned on me, and that was my turning point. That was my moment of, okay, Jared, it's time to see your worth. You have all of these tools and resources. It's time for you to make a difference. So stop crying, stand up, go to here. It's the Arizona Corporation Commission. And I really just had to dig deep into my toolbox of what can I do right now when the economy is low and um, how can I turn myself around and fill up my cabinets with food. (laughs) So That was a big turning point for me. I wish that was my only time of receiving government support, but it's not. I became a single mom, and um, again, really hard, you know. Like, I always always knew I wanted to be a mom. I didn't know that uh, my family picture was going to be what it is today, but I'm so grateful and, um, you know, once again found myself in the food stamp line, and I thought, how did I get here? So when I serve for nonprofits, you know, I know what it's like to go into food banks. I know what it's like to go and receive services that you're not always so proud to receive, and you may not have a lot of dignity and confidence at that time. Um, and I know what it's like to be judged. So one of the one of the meetings, the lady literally asked me. She goes, "Why do you have the car you have?" And I'm like. What do you mean? It's my transportation, you know? And, <laughs> sure. And it's not, it, trust me, it was not a, um, you know, a stellar car. It was a pretty basic car. And yeah. um, so I definitely can put myself in the shoes of so many clients, so many individuals that have seen better days and I believe will see better days. So a lot of turning points there of really digging in to find out what resources are available, whether they're inside yourself or connections to the community, like uh, your center there in Park City. Park City. Jared, thanks for being so honest and open about your own story. It's obvious to me that you have a lot of passion, and that passion probably came out of a lot of pain that you went through. And But the good news is I think you've turned that 
pain into passion to help other women now who are going through similar difficult circumstances so that they can actually overcome as well. So thanks for sharing your story. It's very powerful. Well, this is a podcast dedicated to nonprofits, of course, and we asked you this a little bit in the first question when it came to your own personal journey, but I wanted to ask it maybe a little bit differently. Um, why is it so important to you personally that you apply your skill set, your energy, your passion to be involved with nonprofits? You know, I think I touched on it a little bit, um, mainly, well, I shouldn't say mainly, but partially, that I've lived it. I've lived a lot of these stories. I can't say that I relate to everyone out there. Um, but I've definitely been in some similar shoes. And then my skill set, again, my undergrad being mass communication, and then I went back to receive my master's in business administration. So I feel so passionate, and I'm glad that you hear it and that it comes out in my voice and my words. I feel so um, inspired to really connect individuals, and whether it's an organization to another organization so that they can collaborate to receive funding, that's a huge skill set that I bring to the table. And I, I love really being of service in my life, and I'm able to combine that with my career. Excellent. Yeah. And, and so as you have done that, before the downturn there in Arizona, you were working as a part of a large nonprofit. So I'm curious, with your experience in nonprofits, what, in your opinion, is the most important role the nonprofit plays and serves in our community? We provide the role. I, I always see our community as a big puzzle piece, right? So not every organization yeah. is the entire picture. Every organization serves as one piece of the puzzle. And so for us to really come together and join forces to provide a greater good to our community and to provide solutions to problems, that is our important role that the nonprofit serves. So we serve as the solutions to problems. And unfortunately, there's a lot of problems in every community, um, whether it's, you know, homeless or hunger, addiction, clothing. And not every organization, just like, you know, each individual, we can't be the end-all, be-all for every problem. So joining together to really make up this puzzle and it's complete when you put all the pieces in the right order, right? <laughs> I love your image of the puzzle pieces and we all play a part in solving the issues of a community. That's excellent. Love that. And then going on from there, then when it comes to nonprofits, um, tell me in your opinion, what are the traits of a healthy nonprofit? Oh, wow. I, you know, I really love it when nonprofits roll up their sleeves and I'm talking leadership all the way um, to the front desk person. They roll up their sleeves and they get involved in the community and they know what the community needs, that they've asked the community members, they've asked the individuals that are seeking solutions to these challenges and to these problems. So often I hear from potential clients that say, oh, our community needs this. And I say, how do you know that? Well, I just know that. Okay, you need to ask your community, right? Is this really a need in the community? So for me, yeah. the, healthy, the healthy nonprofit they're the individuals that are just folded into the community and know not only intrinsically, but we've asked the community and we've done our needs assessment. What is it that we need? You know, is it, um, is it hunger uh, solution that we're looking for and things like that, that we just, we've done our, our homework, if you will, to find out what it is that we need. Because when the economy change and the climate change, 
And there's so many changes in the world. Are we providing what the need is? And sometimes that changes. No, very good. Very helpful. And, and now as you think about it, as a consultant, you've worked with a lot of nonprofit leaders and nonprofit organizations. Um, when you're trying to help nonprofits get better and become more effective, what do you see yourself drawn to again and again or in terms of like some key traits perhaps or some key themes that you seek to help nonprofits get better and better? Or in that matter, you're helping leaders to become more effective leaders in their nonprofits. I focus on strategic planning and not just what we put on paper, right? But strategically, how can we effectively and efficiently reach our goals? And I'm not just talking about the end goal, but every goal along the way. So instead of, and I I say this often, we're not going to throw something against the wall and hope that it sticks, right? Because chances are it's not going to stick. So I'm really big on analyzing and making sure that we know what we did and we know why it worked or why it didn't work. Work, And so we can determine from there what our next step is. And we don't repeat mistakes uh, year after year. You know, we know our institutional knowledge of whether it's a fundraising appeal that we've sent out to our donors. Did this work? Yes or no? And then why? So for me, it's really a strategic approach to meeting our end goal. And then also, you know, like I said, it's, it's every step along the way and, and believing in course correction. <laughs> so if something didn't mm-hmm. work, right, what can we change? And whether that feedback comes from the client or the board, um, it just, it just depends. No, that's great. Thank you for that. And then on the flip side, think about the challenges, some of the difficulties that you're running across when it comes to nonprofit organizations. What are those consistent challenges or barriers that are keeping nonprofits from becoming as effective as they can be? Oh, you know, there's so much competition in in the world, but in the nonprofit sector. In Arizona alone, Rob, there are 23,000 nonprofits. So... While we may not be competing for services or for clients, we're competing for dollars. So when you look at your sustainable business practice for a nonprofit, there's only a certain amount of wealth out there. And whether it's your, you know, $100 donors, $1,000 donors, or your $1 million donors, there's a certain bucket of money, and these individuals, me included, you included, we decide every year where our money goes. And it's not that we don't want to help the pet shelters or we don't want to help the children fighting cancer. We only have a certain amount of um, resources, right? And so that, for me, is the biggest challenge that we're facing. And thankfully, the economy has gotten better since 2009. There's a lot more philanthropic dollars being exchanged. But the biggest challenge is the number of 501c3s that exist. And we're competing for the same dollars. Well, I'm honestly surprised. I had no idea that there was over 23,000 nonprofits in Arizona. That's a lot. And, but it's interesting. What you're challenging us with is, is actually a very similar challenge to all nonprofits across the country. All of us are challenged with 
where do we come up with our budget, right? And who do we talk to that there's competition in every community, every city. And so from your experience, talk about what you've found to be effective fundraising practices that really perhaps have make some nonprofits rise above the rest where they're able to be more effective for whatever reason uh, when it comes to fundraising. What are those traits that you've seen that are truly effective as fundraising methods? Uh, you know, absolutely. There's a lot of best practices you can put into place. One is to collaborate with other organizations to go after funding dollars. Mostly that's going to be your family foundations and your government funding. So when you can pull together two, three, maybe even four organizations that can provide the service for the community, really showing a partnership to the funders is one way to, um, gosh, I don't know what to say, but that's one way to really pull together your resources and go after the funding. Secondly, you know, you really have to cultivate and steward your donors, so your existing donors. So the people that, whether they give you $50 a year or $50 a month, it's really creating that cultivation and developing the relationships so that when their funds perhaps increase, they are mission tied to you and driven to give you possibly more money. The third thing that I really love to advise clients on and prospective clients on is to cultivate your younger donor constituents. So these are your individuals, let's say they're between um, 20 and 35, even 40 years old, because a lot of nonprofits now, the challenge is, our constituents are aging out, meaning we're losing a large population of our constituents because of their age. So if we, I can, I can get completely nonprofit nerdy on you right now, but <laughs> if we're looking at, <laughs> right. at planned giving, right, that's the, our older constituents, we want to look at planned giving, but we really need to start introducing the young donors, the 20 year olds, the 30 year olds into the fold so that we can develop their philanthropic dollars to help sustain organizations. And I think between those three, you know, partnering and um, bringing in a younger donor base, that's, that's going to be part of the solution to the challenge. You bring up a really good point, Jarrett, um, this idea about different generations and how they respond to fundraising differently. And so talk about that. Um, the millennial generation has come up before in previous podcasts. So my question for you is, what have you found to be the most effective way to fundraise with millennials? Um, and how and what should board members and executive directors expect from millennials when it comes to fundraising? You know, we've got a huge young population that is so savvy. And you mentioned social media. That's definitely one of it, one of the pieces. So these individuals, they are they're into social justice and they, they want to give back they um, become your biggest advocate, right? They're sharing things left and right mm -hmm. on their social media platforms. Um, they're volunteering their time. Or they are entrepreneurs and they give back a certain percentage of their, their income. So you could call it tithing or, or whatnot. They're really, they're really socially conscious and they want to be um, providing support. And, you know, you look at the coffee lines, whether it's Starbucks or, you know, your local mom and pop coffee, which still their coffee is $5. Mm -hmm. 
pretty much <laughs> every right, month. Right, right. So you, you look mm-hmm. at that, and, and we used to look and compare, um, you know, that cost to alcohol or cigarettes. Now I like to compare it more to a latte. And it's, you know, these individuals are, are they're getting coffee once if not twice a day. And so you look at the, the dollar amount they spend there, and you educate them that this amount can support, let's say, you know, five five children with back-to-school supplies, they're going to be more inclined when there's a social cause and a social impact to potentially give their latte money, if you will, to your cause to provide a backpack mm-hmm. or school supplies. So, you know, these individuals, they are phenomenal, and I've worked with many organizations that have started a young donor a constituent base specifically for that. They, they're they intellectual and they want to be actively engaged. So how can you actively engage these um, individuals as well as the young families? I um, have worked with a nonprofit and I'm in the same boat too, right, with my six-year-old is I want sure. to be with, I want to be with him and I, I don't want to hire a nanny or a babysitter. So have an event that I can bring him to your event and I can demonstrate what service leadership is like to my little one. So through the generations, he's growing up in a service atmosphere. So that's a couple of the ways that you can really utilize this young donor base is getting them involved as advocates and also getting them involved with their families to demonstrate and to leave a legacy with their little ones. Yeah, I love this conversation because it's something that we are talking about a lot on previous podcasts and this whole idea of fundraising and are there trends now where nonprofits are changing up how they raise funds. And so my question would be for you, I'm curious to hear, are you seeing some trends where nonprofits are changing the way they do fundraising? In other words, uh, perhaps they're using social media more or um, they're becoming more like what for-profits are doing because there's a lot of uh, for-profit organizations out there that are becoming more socially aware, right? They're uh, becoming social entrepreneurs and they're giving back to the community in ways they never have before, perhaps. Um, are you seeing some trends where nonprofits are completely changing their style of fundraising or is it more in response to the millennial generation and what really appeals to them is that's what driving maybe new fundraising trends in your opinion? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, we still have the galas and we have tons of golf tournaments. <laughs> Still, <laughs> that's just, we, yeah, that's, Arizona makes sense, golf, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we still have both of those. Um, I I have seen kind of, you know, a, a new way of that because when you look at your return on investment for events, that's not always your best ROI. Um, you know, but people are getting, you know, if you want to call it creative, but it, it's really, I've seen a girlfriend and she held a happy hour and she wanted to talk about, the nonprofit that she served on their board, and all of the funds that she raised that day was given to her nonprofit, and all of the sales from her group, a percentage was given to the nonprofit from the restaurant. So, again, that's that's something that's happening here. We have a lot of kind of foodie places that are, Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to say mom and pop run, but small business run. And so they're much more inclined to give back to their community And so you can have dinner events and have a whole day where a percentage of those funds go towards your organization. I personally am not the biggest fan of that because I think it takes a lot of work with a little bit of return. But it depends on your audience, right? So 
I would much yeah. rather prefer um, a dinner party at home or a cocktail hour at home, and you invite 20, 30 of your closest friends, and you tell them about your nonprofit. Um, you have a good time. Maybe you show them pictures, but it's a it's a very brief uh, introduction, and then you ask them to support an organization that you are so you know mission aligned with. But again, golf tournaments and um, galas are still very popular here. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine in Arizona that that's a great spot for golf fundraisers. So uh, that's fantastic. Um, all right, so here's here's my question then. So would your advice to traditional nonprofits be? If your current fundraising practices are working, for example, golf tournaments, if they're still working, do you just keep moving forward? Is that what you're saying? Just stick with what's working? Yeah, definitely keep doing what's working for as long as it will work. But you do have to bring into the fold your younger donors. And, um, Mm -hmm. for instance, one of our nonprofits here is a children's museum. And so they have an adult night out where – Basically, they are focused on the young adults coming into the children's museum. They have a cocktail hour, and they have food trucks. And they make it kind of, you know, an adult night out at the children's museum where you get to play and be a kid. And that's been a pretty popular event. Okay, good. And one last question regarding that. Um, So if you were to give advice to a traditional nonprofit, and they're really trying to reach that next generation, they're trying to reach the millennials, what is the the first step? What is one piece of advice you'd say, okay, before you do anything else, let's start with this one thing first, and then go from there? Probably my first step I would would advise is to ask the uh, organization to have a focus group, whether it's, you know, five, seven, maybe however many and the young donors or young individuals that are engaged in the organization, bring them in. Take them to lunch. Have a conversation with them. Ask them, you know, how can we engage you more? What is it you like about our organization? Would you tell your friends about us? And if so, what would you tell your friends? I think that's the first step is, is to bring them into the fold via a conversation and have that conversation with them about – you know, having them provide some alternative solutions. Okay, so this leads to our final question then. Um, moving away a little bit from fundraising when it comes to millennials, but just millennials in general. In your opinion, how do we get millennials engaged, volunteering, participating, supporting a nonprofit in non-fundraising ways? I always love having great volunteer opportunities. If that's something that your organization can host a volunteer group and it's pretty easy and there's not a lot of hurdles to jump through, Absolutely. Get your, you know, church groups involved. Get your schools and your universities involved. Have these uh, younger individuals get to experience it. And you're right, social media is is definitely a a great place to reach them. But I can't keep up with the social media trends, (laughs) right? (laughs) That alone is hard, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Facebook is constantly changing. It's probably changed since the time this podcast with you and I started this morning. Snapchat and Snapchat and Vimeo. There's so many platforms. So, you know, to really target what is your what is your demographic and where are they? So where do you reach them? So social media, absolutely. And maybe if you get lucky, one of one of the individuals that loves your organization will want to volunteer their time and their skill sets. For, for you in social media. 
Excellent. Jarrett, this has been so fun to hear your thoughts on all these things from millennials to fundraising, etc. So if people are listening to this and they want to know how to learn more about you and your organization, where do they go? Where would you point them in terms of finding more information about you? Absolutely. The best place to find out information about me is my website, JarrettInspires.com. And that's my first name, J-A-R-R-E-T-T, Inspires, I-N-S-P-I-R-E-S.com. From there, it'll take you to the Raven Group as well. So if you're interested about my nonprofit consulting, JarrettInspires.com will also route you to the Raven Group. Thanks for having me, Rob. I appreciate it. I wanted to remind you that we are on iTunes now. And so if you're wondering how to find us there, uh, just type in Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should pop up. Also, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a rating. If you really like it, give us a good rating. You know, we, we love to hear back from you, and we're hoping that this is a podcast that's very helpful for you. We sure have a great time interviewing these wonderful people doing great things all over the country. We'd love to get some reviews and ratings from you. Also, if you just want to hear us online, you can go to nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or go to my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep making your world better. Better.